You're listening to The Souvenir Shop, a podcast about random objects from the past. Number 45. Brian. It's the worst record sleeve containing arguably the best album ever recorded, and it sits in a frame just above my PC monitor. A 60th birthday present from a friend who knew I'd appreciate it. There are thousands of articles and entire books about this one LP and its cultural significance, and, as often as not, they go into too much detail as to why the band settled on such a naff cover photo of the group feeding goats at San Diego Zoo. Above the photo, in a Cooper Black typeface, we get the group's name, the album title and a track listing. And that's it. No gatefold sleeve, no lyric sheet, no sleeve notes. To anyone unfamiliar with the album, the cheap artwork belongs on the kind of Music for Pleasure album we used to see on the wire carousel shelves of a stationery shop. Only the contents of the record have made the cover iconic. 60s music geeks might already have recognised that the album is Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. They might also know it was in fact nearly all the work of the group's resident genius, Brian Wilson. By any standards, 2001 was not a good year. The new year saw the end of my career in live comedy. The last public Draylon Underground gig took place the previous December, the group grinding to a halt along with the 20th century. Then in March my brother died after four years of a very public cancer ordeal. He was gone, but everyone close to him was left behind to pick up the pieces. We each have our own way of handling grief, and in my case I combined drinking too much with throwing myself into my day job and, to my shame, trying to avoid family and friends because everything hurt too much. And in late November, following a small downturn caused by 9-11, my company kicked away one of my grief-handling props by making me redundant. Fortunately, they cushioned the blow with a nice five-figure payoff, with which I immediately treated myself to one ounce of hashish, a bottle of Laphroaig, and a copy of the game Civilization III. All essential ingredients for closing my door on the world. At 42, I was single, jobless, grieving, and doing very little except getting stoned, drunk, and nowhere. But things have a habit of turning up, often from the most unlikely direction. At the end of January 2002, something incredible happened that few expected to see. After over three decades of inactivity caused by his own drug, alcohol, grief and social interaction problems, Brian Wilson came to the Royal Festival Hall in London to perform Pet Sounds live in its entirety. Was it the best gig I ever attended? I'm still not sure. What I do know is that when you are perennially miserable, or in a rut, or simply can't answer that final Kenneth Williams, what's the bloody point conundrum, you need something to break the cycle, something to get those endorphins moving. For years I heard people extol the healing power of art, and I was always sceptical, sure in my knowledge 
that healing can only come from somewhere inside us. But being at Pet Sounds Live, a gig no one ever thought would happen, and hearing this fabulous music among a warm, adoring crowd broke that cycle. And there was more to come. The day after Pet Sounds Live, I received an email telling me I had won an online competition to see the premiere of a new documentary film about Brian Wilson and the legacy of Pet Sounds. The prize was two tickets, but I went alone. The film was good, and afterwards I sat in the National Film Theatre Café with a beer and read the programme. A middle-aged hippie-ish looking American woman came and joined me at the table, and asked if I'd enjoyed the film. Very much so, I said. Did you see the concert? she continued. I did. It was amazing. This was her first visit to Britain. She came here with a party of blue boarders, the name given to Brian Wilson fans who spend the bulk of their free time contributing to the talk board on his website. You've heard how Mike is suing Brian for ownership of Wouldn't It Be Nice? she then asked. And after I replied that I hadn't, she gave me the latest chapter on the forever war within the Beach Boys. Of its core members, Brian, Carl and Dennis Wilson, plus Al Jardine, David Marks, Mike Love and Bruce Johnson, each of them had at some time been either sued or sacked by their bandmates. Copy in the drugs, the breakdowns, the love triangles, the fistfights, not to mention the legendary music, and you have the longest-running soap opera in modern entertainment. The woman sitting at my table was a classic obsessive fan, the kind I normally avoid, but she seemed like a kind soul, and just this once, I enjoyed hearing her detail the minutiae of Brian Wilson's life and the evil machinations of his cousin and nemesis, Mike Love. Still feeling the glow of Pet Sounds Live a few days before, the woman's almost religious devotion to Brian Wilson seemed, far from weirdly compulsive, perfectly natural, charming even. At the time, I lived in the better part of Acton, occupying the top floor of a house owned by a friend of John's I knew from the comedy circuit. I moved in because John wanted me nearby after they pronounced his cancer incurable, but I was still there nearly a year after his death. The day after the Brian Wilson documentary, I hired a van and moved out to stay temporarily with my brother Andrew. It wasn't ideal, but looking back the change of location was essential because it made me see at once exactly what was going wrong. I couldn't see any future. Many will recognise this as a classic symptom of depression. The physical inability to visualise any time when things might get better. Or indeed get anywhere at all. A week after moving into Andrew's house, I went to interview for a job I didn't want and probably wouldn't get. I returned home suited and booted to find my brother and sister-in-law Anna had a visitor. How did the interview go? asked Andrew. Not bad, but I could tell they only wanted me for one thing, I said. And that was? As soon as I stepped through the door, they were already undressing me with their eyes, ogling me, objectifying me. The visitor laughed. She was beautiful. My first thought was, wow, 
She's gorgeous and she laughed at my stupid joke. My second thought was as usual. And why on earth should she be even remotely interested in an awkward non-entity like me? About a month later, I landed a new job and moved into my own flat. And in September 2004, the beautiful visitor and I were married. Thanks, Brian. That was Brian, written and read by Matthew Diamond. If you enjoyed this, then please like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you did like it, also please tell your friends. And I'll see you next time.